Welcome to Oddments 20. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This week, we'll explore a bit of the TSA, appreciate the man of the year, remember the 5th of November, and make a cup of tea. Be sure to listen to the end for a chance to receive some swag. Nothing will increase your curiosity more than thinking about the TSA. And by curiosity, we mean rage. But if you can put aside your frustration for a moment, we might find something of interest. The Travel Security Administration is tasked with keeping bad people and bad things off of airplanes. They're mostly looking for bombs, knives, and guns. But do they find any? It turns out that they do, and in impressive numbers. The TSA screened 660 million passengers in 2014. During that time, they discovered an average of six guns per day. While statistically that's a tiny percentage, it also means that every day, six people tried to carry a gun on an airplane. Many others tried to carry bomb-making ingredients like black powder and blasting caps. One person even packed a nurse sat's suicide bomber's vest. Though it was just a tasteless retirement gift, it was impressively real-looking and certainly could have been used to threaten a large group of people. In the last few years, the TSA has tried to improve its image through several methods. Agents are trained to smile a bit more, and this past Christmas, the nation's busiest airport, O'Hare has wrested that dubious prize from Atlanta, used an express screening during Christmas that allowed large numbers of people to move through security in just a couple of minutes. Oh, and there's Twitter. Regardless of how you feel about the TSA, their Twitter account is fascinating. You can follow at TSA Blog Team or the new hashtag TSA Good Catch to see some of the interesting things they find. And it's a good tactic, showing that they just might find that Leatherman tool you hid with your socks or the plastic knife you thought was undetectable. They'll also find some of your live snakes, whips, cane swords, and apparently anything ever concealed inside lipstick, such as pepper spray or tactical knives. So the TSA does find things. Do they find everything? Absolutely not. Do they stop or deter any crime? We can't be sure. Do people carry odd things on airplanes? They do. Back in 1927, Time magazine wanted to find a way to honor Charles Lindbergh, the 67th man to cross the Atlantic by air. See my Robert Ripley article on Skeptoid for why he was the 67th. They created the Man of the Year edition, and the tradition has stuck with us. It was no surprise when Gandhi won in 1930, FDR won in 1932, or when Adolf Hitler won in 1938. Yes, Hitler was Man of the Year, and many people know this. But fewer people realize that Stalin was Man of the Year in 1939, or that Harry S. Truman was Man of the Year twice. In 1966, things got a little strange. The Inheritor was the winner, referring to the generation aged 25 and under. The Middle Americans won in 1969, Nixon won in 71 and 72, though he had to share with Kissinger in 72. Women weren't recognized until 1975 and then only collectively as American women. And yes, they were Man of the Year. In 1979, the Ayatollah Khomeini, leader of the Iranian Revolution, was selected. This was the year that dozens of Americans were held hostage and the public wasn't at all pleased to see this man on the cover. 
But as those few I've mentioned should point out, the man of the year was never about the best man, it was always about the most influential. Hitler and Stalin were certainly influential, as was Khomeini, but in 79 the public backlash saw a change of heart in time. From then on, politics played a bigger role. No more bad guys, at least no more people widely considered to be bad guys. Some were a bit controversial. Gorbachev won twice and Ken Starr, investigator of Bill Clinton, won once. In 1999, the title became Person of the Year, as Time Magazine finally realized that people who weren't male could be influential. Despite that, there has never been a sole woman chosen. And then 9-11 happened. If you were to ask just about anyone who the most influential person of 2001 was, the answer would most likely be former CIA operative Osama bin Laden. But when his name was put forward, time demurred. Despite the fact that the magazine had maintained that the title Man of the Year was not an honorific, but merely an observation, they chose Rudolph Giuliani instead. Oh, and if you ever wonder if you'll win, don't worry, you already have. In 2006, you became the most influential as an individual content creator on the internet. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. There's a reason why you see Guy Fox masks everywhere, and that's quite simply the movie V for Vendetta. In the film, masks were used as a sign of opposition to the government, which makes a lot of sense since Guy Fox, who preferred his nom de guerre Guido Fox, literally tried to blow up the British government in the gunpowder plot. He was captured, tortured, and committed suicide moments before his scheduled execution. Annually, on Guy Fawkes Day, his effigy was burned in public, complete with the now-famous mask. This was largely an anti-Catholic celebration. Though it continues today in an abated form, its original meaning has been for the most part lost. In recent years, the loose hacker group Anonymous has adopted the mask as their uniform, and it's a popular Halloween costume. But was Guy or Guido a hero of the people trying to throw off the chains of a repressive government? The answer can only be yes if you're Catholic and a fan of the brutal form of Catholicism practiced by Spain in the early 17th century. No one expects a Spanish Inquisition! Fox was one of 13 conspirators trying to overthrow the British government so that a Catholic monarch could be installed. He was literally trying to replace one repressive government with another, not exactly what we see in V for Vendetta, or what the goals of Anonymous are described as. Knowing these details gives the mask a whole new meaning. If you beat the government, what fills the gap? The British are taxing our tea! We'll show them! Over the side with it, boys! Let's turn Boston Harbor into the biggest cup of tea in history! And so the story goes, and unlike many legends, this one is true. American colonists did raid several ships of tea from the East India Company and throw it overboard. Some colonists even dressed as Native Americans to disguise themselves. So hooray for that American spirit! We should fight all instances of governments lowering taxes and providing cheaper tea. Yes, that's what really happened. The British government removed all duties from tea provided by the East India Company to the Americas while maintaining the tax on colonial importers. This meant that Americans would have cheaper tea across the board. 
It was an ingenious plan. Cheaper tea makes the grumbly Americans happy. Check. Cheaper tea makes smuggling less profitable. Check. Cheaper tea makes it harder for the colonist businesses to grow and gives them less power. Check. What could go wrong? Well, it wasn't so much the everyday people who were up in arms about their new cheaper tea. It was the wealthy merchants and importers who demanded representation in matters concerning tax law. If they had that representation and were successful in swaying Parliament, the East India Company would have been subjected to the same tax as everyone else, and the price of tea would have gone up. So in reality, the Boston Tea Party was a revolt against larger corporations receiving lower taxes, which is not quite the party line of the so-called Tea Party movement we have today. As for me, I'm a coffee drinker anyway. And that's it for this week. Did you figure out the theme? The answer is terrorism. Yes, it's acceptable to be curious about terrorism. In fact, it's essential that we are. The Boston Tea Party didn't directly result in any deaths, but it did cause a significant loss of property and contributed greatly to the animosity needed for two bloody wars. Now about the swag. If you send a U.S. mailing address to jeff at collegeofcuriosity.com, I'll mail you either a hook waka bang euro decal or a pin, your choice. If you're outside the U.S., let me know and maybe we can work something out. I won't be saving these addresses or using them for marketing or anything else. My only goal is to get the word out that there might be a cure in curiosity. Until next time, I'm Jeff Wagg, and thank you for listening to Oddments. 